listeners, welcome back to another installment of the Lost in Postulation podcast. I'm Nicola Volpi, and recently I've given myself to to a few dad jokes. I I am now entitled to doing that. I'm going to start things off right away with that by welcoming back someone that, instead of just eating turkey on Thanksgiving, went to Turkey. It's Neil Fitzpatrick. I actually think that's a high quality joke in its own right. I think you're it's doing not yourself bad, right. Yeah, you're doing yourself a disservice calling it a dad joke. I mean, you are a dad and it's a joke, but that's beside the point. That was a good joke, sir. Well done. Well, and it wasn't just a joke, right? You, my friend, have just returned from Turkey, which I'm being told we now diplomatically need to start calling Turkiye. We do. We do. They didn't raise that as, as I was there. They didn't. They never mentioned it, but um, loved it all the same. It's uh, it's a bit hot right now, Turkey, and I don't mean weather-wise. It seems like uh, I went right, but then every time I s- tell someone I'm going or that I was going, they're like, "Oh yeah, I was just there. I was just there." Like uh, everyone's there. Everyone's there. It's a uh, lovely part of the world. Have to say, it's my first time, and honestly, loved it. Highly recommend it. Great exchange rate right now for most people in Europe. So yeah, it's a win-win-win. The Turkish lira never disappointing us. It's uh, it's a bit of an underdog right now, yeah. And the vibes, just the vibe check on Istanbul. I haven't been in maybe eight years or so. Yeah, I think the vibes are still very solid since eight years ago. Obviously, I can only postulate. But the one great thing about it is I was just in Bali, like not that long ago, you know, yeah. uh, six six months ago. And in many ways, on paper, it has a lot in common with Bali because hmm. it it has become a massively popular tourist destination where the exchange rate is so favorable for tourists that it would be possible, and it's entirely, it's it's not uncommon for um, the occasional business in Turkey to take advantage of that fact and charge prices for things which are obscene. But the key difference I found is that so many of them don't actually. And that you really, even though they, even though they could, even though they could rip me off at any, at any point, very often you feel like, okay, this was actually super cheap. Wow. And, you know, I would have paid double for this kind of thing. Um, so I was super happy. It's like, it has all the ingredients of a tourist nightmare, or at least of a, a scam and ripoff nightmare. And it isn't, it's a, uh, it's a great place to be. And the, to your point on vibes, that's why, that's why I think the vibes are so good. The people are so friendly. They're very like actively proactively helping each other out like we were on buses or trains or whatever and there was so much of that seat mm. giving up or like oh please after you Lovely. like you know they're just very very polite very friendly people at least from my brief interaction with them and just really as a tourist i i like to feel that i'm not being completely uh shaken down as a bag of money and uh i i wasn't i didn't feel like a bag of money at all ah oh, wonderful and turkish you're you're a coffee guy so what is the word on Turkish coffee, which is very particular? Çevçe, uh, I hope I pronounced it right. Um, and you know I'm a big coffee nerd, so I, I of course have an opinion on this. I get it. I, I first of all, I, I don't subscribe to the brew method that is used on the street, which is like they use hot sand to boil the, the çevçe, the container, and then it boils mm. over. And, and that's all for show. That, that's not a real thing. No restaurant would ever do that. It's like, they're doing it for you as a, as a performance, right? So fine if you want to pay them to do that and see them do that, but that's not how it's supposed to be. Or that's in modern times, that's not a good way to make coffee. Then the coffee itself, Chevche, is like, do you know how it's brewed or should I tell you or how it's made or do you know the... Please enlighten yeah. me, enlighten the listener. The listener, exactly. So when you grind 
uh, roasted coffee beans, you have to determine how finely you, you grind them. And Chevche coffee like that is brewed even more finely than espresso. It's extremely, mm. to, to the point that it's like flour, actually, the coffee uh, be becomes itself. And why they do that is because it doesn't get filtered. It literally stays in the brew. So it gets boiled in the water and then you pour it out and you try to leave some of that powder behind, but a lot of it gets in the cup, right? And that's good because mm. uh, you, you can get a lot of extraction and a lot of flavor that way. And the downside is the texture can be a bit muddy and a bit gritty. And yeah, sorry to say, like, I, I'm a big proponent of filter coffee, as you know. And I believe there's a reason filtering coffee is a good idea because you can eliminate all of the... Uh, mouthfeel and also taste issues that come with not filtering coffee so far far be it from me to diss an entire nation and it, not even just turkey i, I know in, it's big in croatia montenegro uh serbia mm -hmm. a lot of countries Absolutely. a lot of countries like this style but for me i had one when i was there and i was like yep that's uh that's what i thought but it's it's cool i like that it exists and it's something different but it's not exactly i'm not going to rush out and buy a chevche and i'm not going to start uh, grinding my beans into nanoparticles to try and recreate it at home. Uh, to me, that's a that's a no go. So, do you also go for the pulp-free orange juice? I am actually, and oh my god, you can get me started on this because there is no such <laughs> thing as orange juice with bits, sir. You're about to have your mind blown here. What are you on about? No, this is true. I can send you ver verified sources on this. Any orange juice, this is true. This is not a, a like a, a conspiracy theory. This is true. Any orange juice that has bits in That's what in they it, always say. This is not a conspiracy yeah, yeah. theory. This I'm is not true. A, I'm, not a, I'm not a crazed maniac conspiracy theorist. But no, uh, this is actually true. You can Google this and get an answer instantly. Any orange juice that has bits in it, right, that purports to be better because it has bits, those bits have been added back in. Okay, they are bought. Get out. They are bought in bulk as a raw material, just like the the orange concentrate is bought, and they are added back in together to make you perceive it as being more natural. It is not the case that they juice oranges and put it in a carton because it wouldn't survive. It needs to have. It needs to be from concentrate shipped from wherever the oranges are picked, and then it needs to be added back in. So I will not sit here and be and be lectured to by a fellow postulator who's accusing me of you know corrupting the innocence of, of coffee or or you know dissing its origins because no this is this is a bad example orange juice is already from the day you talk about orange juice it is a fake unless you're juicing the orange yourself it is a fake product that we are buying from the supermarket regardless of if it has bits or not but why do because when i juice it at home yeah once a year. It has bits, yes. It has bits. It does. Why does that not survive the process of bottling it all the way to the supermarket? Well, my understanding is the oranges are picked where they're picked, right? And they are not going to be able to be shipped across the world to wherever they're going to be bottled or heartened or packaged in any case, right? Uh, also because it gets mixed with other stuff. Usually most, most grocery orange juices are like... A percentage of it is orange concentrate, and then there's preservatives, sugar, flavorings, uh, lots of different stuff. Um, and these days, have you seen the price of oranges, by the way, as well? Like orange juice concentrate, is, oh. it's at an all-time high for like the last 50 years. So more and That's more... That's why I'm drinking it once a year. Exactly. Oh, it's only millionaires who are having orange juice these days. But uh, exactly. I wish I could afford it. But the point being that it now more than ever requires uh, supplementation with, and big orange are not going to like me telling you this, but lemon juice. Did you know that? Uh, a lot of orange juice today has citrus uh, ingredients in it, such as lemon juice or lime juice, to try and uh, beef up the flavor. 
it's a shocker. I'm, I'm, I can't believe I'm blowing the lid on, on Big Orange right here on this podcast, but uh, someone had to do it. You know, I let you off with, with a lot of things for the sake of postulating, but some t- you have a tendency lately to cross dreams. Yeah. To cross the dreams of our listeners. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And I think, I think that's not fair. What I do think this calls for, though, is another postulatory intervention and investigation, this time into the world of orange juice. Add it to the list. I mean, who knows how deep, who knows how deep this rabbit hole goes. All I know is right now we have historically high orange juice prices. We have uh, the pulp conspiracy, which we need to get to the bottom of. We have the, the lemon juice conspiracy we need to get to the bottom of. So it's just so much that we need to uh, investigate here. Crazy. And I think what's always interesting when we start these investigations, just as a little teaser, right? And we Google something like pulp and orange juice. One of my favorite things to look at is people also ask, and then there's the questions under that. And I'm looking at that right now. The first one, why is pulp removed from orange juice? Mm -hmm. So that's a resource we could leverage. Then some people ask, is it healthy to eat the pulp from juicing? Can you take pulp out of orange juice? Is juice better with or without pulp? What to do with orange pulp after juicing? Mm -hmm. Um, And it just goes on and on and on to the point where someone asks here whether it is safe to drink orange juice with pulp. I mean... uh... What isn't? If what's safe these days? Every day they ask. Well, okay, then yeah. then you're just you got to get into your uh, weekly intakes of sugar because actually orange juice is pretty, especially if you're buying it. Like if you're buying the carton, that's I I don't know if there's a huge difference between that and Coca Cola, honestly. Um, yeah, not to crush any wow. more dreams. Like here you go. <laughs> just on, if you want to talk about like sugar, excess sugar intake, it's probably up there. Like. You can use like I, I make a mean cranberry sauce for uh, Thanksgiving and. Uh, that's that's like mostly orange juice, and it's because orange juice is just full of sugar. Do you actually do Thanksgiving, or are you pandering? I no, genuinely not just pandering for the American crowd. Uh, I have a friend who is American, and she likes to host Thanksgiving every year here in Denmark. And I do Lovely. this year. This year, I did um, some slow cook barbecue pork and a cranberry sauce, and that is my contribution to the table. Ah, that's what the slow-cooked uh, barbecue pork was. Exactly. We were texting exactly. on a Sunday a few weeks back, listeners, with Neil, and I could just feel the sweat coming off of him when he texted me a picture of this. He's like, I just got done with a 12-hour okay, slow-cooked yeah, yeah, pork. No, and I was 12, like, let, all right. It was, it was five at a push, right? And uh, still. still amazing. And I, I did it during a working day. So it was like uh, you set it up and then go do your work, and you come back at the end of the end of the afternoon pretty much, and it is good to go. It was great. Actually, I'm going to repeat that sometime. Next time I need to feed a large group of people because obviously uh, the two of us aren't going to get through a kilo and a half of pulled pork anytime soon. We could try. We could bring it to our next live show. Um, I want to wrap this up, Neil, real quick by a rapid fire thumbs up or thumbs down on Turkish things. Yes. Ready? Yep. Turkish delight. Uh, Thumbs down for me. Personal preference. Sorry to say. Yeah, also for me. Baklava. Thumbs up with a caveat because we got, we got like, and I know this is supposed to be rapid fire, but we, we went to this great uh, place for baklava. Galyoglu yeah, in Karakoy. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Because we were staying near That's there. That's my guy. It's a great place. And we got like a mixed plate of that. And some of them were bangers and some of them were misses. So I think it comes down to which baklava you get. But yes, generally like baklava. Yeah. 
Raki. The alcohol? Yeah. Didn't try it. Unless there's another Rocky. No, I didn't. No, I just wanted to make sure I got it right. I didn't try that. I don't know. That was a, a miss on my part. I, oh, well, I'm surprised. I know. Well, there you go. No Rocky. No Rocky this time. Maybe next time. Maybe next time. Well, there you go, Neil. Thanks for sharing your, your recent adventures. Thanks for opening up another investigation. Listeners will reach out to you. You can reach out to us as usual, lostinpostulation at gmail.com, on our socials, Instagram, at lostinpostulation. There is an X account at Impostulation. Where are we with that X account? I was, how do we I was feel just about it? Ask, what, how, what how does that believe? go? Is anyone, like, is that, if, I, I haven't been on X in forever, these, so I have no idea. Is it is it rocking over there? or? I think you, as a conspiracy theorist, uh, would uh, quite enjoy yeah, it nowadays, I'd actually. I'd be right at home on X, actually. But, um, no, I think for my own <laughs> mental health, it's probably good that I stay away. Yeah, but uh, listeners, we got a lot coming. Uh, Neil, did you know that today is episode 40 in Roman numerals XL of Lost in Postulation? Ah, I was wondering. The episode title was tagged as LIPXL, and I had to wonder, is this going to be an extra long episode, or is there some other uh, meaning? Well, it's becoming exactly. one. Exactly. That is huge. 40 and about a year to the day since we put out the famous episode one, where we talked... Uh, some also conspiracy theories, or at least some rabbit holes that I had uh, fallen down recently. So, uh, absolutely, wow. what a journey! And what a journey indeed! And uh, listeners, we got some some new things coming up that uh, we're gonna have one already uh, as a little treat in the main segment of this episode. And then, lost in postulation is starting to get guests coming in. Not so lost anymore, or at least we're finding more people to postulate <laughs> with, and we're bringing them along with us. Exciting times! And exactly. So, Neil. After the break, we're going to come back with a little treat in between two pieces of bread. Listeners, welcome back. And as you'll remember, last week we embarked on a journey. We embarked on a journey thanks to a listener postulating on whether a hot dog was a sandwich or not. Uh, it took us down memory lane. We've been talking about sandwiches, little did we know, on this podcast for the past nine to ten months. Um, and today, we want to put an end to that. Um, and to do that, Neil, we reached out to someone special before this podcast. Someone with industry expertise, if you will. Honestly, I think we would struggle to find a bigger authority on this subject than the person we found. I, I like talk about closure, talk about an authority. This is like we've gone, we skipped all the interims and we went straight to the source on this one. Straight to the very top. Um, we felt our postulations added some value to for our listeners, but we felt they needed more. We felt we owed them. So Neil, we reached out to the CEO of the British. Sandwich Association, Jim Winship, the sandwich czar. Imagine my surprise, because, you know, you told me you were going to do this, and I thought, yeah, yeah, as if he's got time for little old us, you know? I mean, he's he's literally one of the top sandwich players in the world, knowing that sandwiches also are a British invention, first and foremost, right? So he's heading up the organization mm -hmm. that is probably foremost in the world for sandwiches. 
And yes, okay, you know, we we like to think of ourselves as a a growing voice in in the world of postulation. But I mean, that now we're talking uh, A players, right? So it was uh, it was quite an exciting get for us, I think, to to have uh, to have Mr. Winship talk to us. And I think uh, the listeners will hear. I think absolutely. Yeah, the listeners will hear. It was a great conversation. You uh, you spearheaded that one as I was away. And you absolutely smashed it as well. So well done for you both on uh, on getting us in touch and for getting that interview. Uh, so well done. You know, and incredibly cooperative from the get go. I mean, we reached out. Uh, we got a, a definition right away from from his textbook, if you will. Uh, and then he said, you know, however, and this is the part that with which we were able to lure him in. He mm. goes, however, the market is constantly changing. So this is probably a little out of date. Mm. The candor, Neil. The candor. That's that made us fall in love with the BSA. Absolutely. I'm. A, they've made a lifelong fan of me, the BSA, uh, from this interaction, and I'm sure more to come on this. We we've you'll hear from the interview. There's a few little uh, future opportunities, let's say, that us and the BSA are looking into. But in the in the meantime, what I can say is I am a huge fan of the topics you guys covered. I think uh, we have explored some very interesting new territory as to the definition of what sandwiches are or are not. I'm also very interested uh, to hear about, or for the listeners to react to some of the, the postulations that will surely come from this, because some of the some of the takes I thought were quite spicy in this interview. Absolutely, and from, from an expert. So, you know, let's just get to it. Listeners, here is our interview with Jim Winship, the sandwich czar. Enjoy. Listeners, welcome back. Special guest joining me today from the British Sandwich Association, Jim Winship. Jim, welcome to the podcast. Hi. <laughs> Great. And Jim, to start things off, you are running the British Sandwich Association. Tell us a bit more about how you came to founding it and uh, what the job entails. Oh, um, that's a long story. I, I, I started it uh, back in 1990. I was asked approached by people in the uh, sandwich industry. It was very much in its infancy at that time uh, to help them put an association together. Um, I'd already done the same for the um, Pizza, Pasta and Italian Food Association in the mm -hmm. UK. So uh, that, that was why. And there were concerns at that time about food safety in uh, uh, the UK generally. There was a whole lot about eggs and things going on. So I, the industry was concerned really to try and find a uh, a way of getting together to collectively deal with some of the issues that they were like to face as the industry grew. <clears throat> Great. And I mean, and nowadays, I mean, it's, it's evolved. We see that you guys are, are even hosting events like the Sammy's awarding the best sandwiches in the UK and so forth. What is, what is the mission? Would you say, you know, if, if we were to, to whittle it down on, on a day-to-day -day basis? Well, we're here to really protect the interests of the industry, I suppose, to sort of represent them to government on issues that affect them, mm -hmm. uh, deal with sort of issues uh, that arise in terms of maybe food safety. It could do be technology coming into the industry. It's anything really that the industry collectively can do. And I mean, one of the big things at the moment is trying to find ways to deal with sustainability in terms of packaging and things where we can work together and... Uh, uh, try and find solutions that are going to make the planet a, bit, a better place, really. <clears throat> That's great. And I mean, climate definitely. And what other current trends are there in the in the sandwich game in the UK and, and perhaps globally? Is it is it a growing category? 
It's, uh, yes, I mean, the industry in the UK, well, worldwide, I think, got hit very hard with the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, like a lot of sectors of the economy, they were cl- pretty much closed down for large parts of the pandemic because people weren't allowed out of their homes and things to wander around and enjoy a sandwich or a cup of coffee or whatever. So I, it, 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 it's had to sort of work its way back from there. I mean, the, the industry in the UK was worth about £8 billion before the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Uh, it uh, probably lost about 85% of its value over the pandemic period. And it's um, still coming back, I think, at the moment. We're not, it's difficult to get precise data, but it's probably a bit short of where it was at the moment, although it's coming back fairly quickly. All right. And and within that sphere, the association represents anything from, just for me to get an idea, my local uh, sandwich shop on the corner all the way to ready-made sandwiches in the supermarkets? Absolutely. Yeah. Everything oh. and uh, anything that relates to sandwiches oh. in the UK, yes. Which which leads to to my next point, and that's uh, that's very much where, where our listeners are most interested. When we come to defining a sandwich... Um, I know you and I exchanged a couple emails uh, b- before the interview, uh, just reading off a definition you shared, and then we can talk about you know uh, if, what parts of that are relevant, what parts of that still need to be updated, is any form of bread with a filling generally assembled cold to include traditional wedge sandwiches, as well as filled rolls, baguettes, pita, bloomers, wraps, bagels, and the like, but not burgers and other products assembled and consumed hot. Hot eating sandwiches are also included. So... I know you mentioned, you know, it's in constant evolution. Things need to be updated. What aspects of that need to be updated? Are we going towards something more inclusive or less? It's it's a constantly evolving industry. I mean, one of the beauties of sandwiches is you you, uh, can have such a huge variety of fillings and things and versions of them that there are forever new ideas coming on the market. They don't necessarily make huge headlines because they're not necessarily bought by vast numbers of people, but right. there's a lot of creativity in the industry. We, we run competitions every year for uh, sandwich innovation. So I, there, there's, and there are always some amazing new ideas coming forth from that. So uh, that the versatility of sandwiches is one of the strengths of it. So you need a different sandwich every day of the week mm-hmm. and it's completely different. I think there are always changes going to be happening. I mean, there, there are the sandwich industry follows trends in consumer patterns, really. So, you know, we 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 look for at times healthier uh, options. So the sandwich industry will look at how it can deal with those, uh, and it's it's constantly evolving. And and at the same time, we've got growth in. Uh, food to go generally, so it's it's not just sandwiches. It brings in sa- food to, food to go covers things like sushi as well as I think hamburgers and things. Now it may well be that we de- we change our definition a bit to include burgers and things in the future. Um, it's 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 always been very difficult to know where you draw the line, really. Right, right. And would you say that at the moment, food to go excluding sandwiches is is eating into sandwiches now that, you know, delivery companies are making it much more accessible to, you know, order in Thai food or whatever it may be? Uh, it's uh, no, I think the answer okay. is that the sandwich industry uh, has remained very strong all the way through. And it, it really nothing 
has come forward as of yet anyway that really challenges it. Uh, even in the post-pandemic period, uh, where people weren't going to the offices, they were start they very quickly started going out to sandwich bars and places more in the suburbs than they than in the city centres to get a sandwich. So I I, do, I don't think that's going to change. I th- I think the sandwich industry is much more flexible to change and adjusting its recipes and things to create new interest, whereas a burger or or many other products are very static in terms of their content. So you don't very often see new types of burger coming on the market, whereas sandwiches, you can find new things every single day of the week. Right, right. Mm. And while while we're on burgers there, why do we specifically draw the line at burgers not being sandwiches? I think because they're prepared hot more than anything else. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think when the sandwich industry was coming together, it was very much about, in the early days, about cold-filled products. Um, and uh, burgers were always seen as being just outside that. I think it's changing. I think um, the, the attitude in the, in the sandwich industry is much more to be more inclusive of burgers than perhaps it was some years ago, um, because it's all part of, we're all part of a fast food or food-to-go market. Um, Right. I, think, I, I wouldn't term sandwiches as being fast food as such, whereas burgers probably are, but it because it, they're they're a healthy option or can be a very healthy option in terms of the content they have because they're pretty much a complete meal with, uh, you know, a sandwich is likely to have a, a a protein filling of some sort, plus salad and fiber in the bread. So you've got a pretty good meal there, um, which is slightly different from where burgers are in the marketplace and perceived to be. But I, I think food to go is really where we are, we are nowadays, and you know we're part of that food to go market. Yeah, absolutely, and I think that's also we see as consumers, and also something we've discussed before in the podcast. Similar trends with the sandwiches and burgers, also to these offerings uh, of, for example, gourmet burgers. Now having also gourmet sandwiches that consumers are paying a premium for, and you know sometimes they can't fit uh, fit everything in in between the two loaves, and people are using forks and knives, uh, but taking a bit more time to eat them. But those are still considered sandwiches and burgers. Yeah, I think I mean the world's changed so much. I mean. If- mm-hmm back 30 or 40 years people wouldn't dream of eating on the move as we do now right (laughs) and sandwiches part of the reason sandwiches has grown is because a the convenience of uh, something you can grab a complete meal and eat it wherever you want um and part because people don't uh, have, have struggled with the amount of time they've got for meals so sitting down and having a formal meal with a knife and fork um becomes less important to them if you like than the time they've got between whether it's grabbing a sandwich at lunchtime or even in the evening mm-hmm. these days it they can have a complete meal without having to sit down and consume it and sandwiches yeah. bill perfectly <clears throat> and that that was something we saw while while conducting our research and in a few previous episodes as well was actually a bit of a difference a bit of a nuance if you will in the definitions given by by different bodies so for example uh, the USDA uh, in theirs includes also open face sandwiches. And I was curious where you land on open face sandwiches because we've traveled a lot for the podcast and especially in the Nordic countries, they're very big on open face sandwiches and sit down restaurants for these. 
does that fit into your kind of definition? Because it's not on the move, on the go food. Uh, yes, it would fit into. I mean, we've always recognized uh, open sandwiches as being part of it, but it's more of a formal dining experience, if you like, because uh, you have got to sit down and consume those. You can't, can't eat them on the move. Um, and uh, the industry in the UK has been very much around on foods that are easy to eat in any in any environment and, and handheld. Um, but that's because that's where people are in terms of what they want. Um, there's nothing wrong with an open sandwich. And, you know, there are lots of venues in the UK that will offer that on the menu. So, um, but you've got to have time to go into somewhere and sit down and consume it. And while we're there, I mean, we've covered the burger, we've covered open face sandwiches, a big polarizing one from, from our listeners. The one they really wanted us to ask you about is hot dogs. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, I mean, under our current definition, hot dogs don't fall into the sandwich category. But again, I think they are very much part of that food to go world, and and mm. um, they they've they they seem to lose their way at one point, but you see more and more of them again now. Um, I think it's one of those things that fashion dictates that they come and go. Some of these products. Um, and I, I've seen more hot dogs in the last year or so than I've seen for a while being offered in the market. All right. All right. So, I mean, if I guess within that context, if I had my own hot dog stand, you know, in, in central London, is that something that could be represented by the BSA or not? I think we would. Yes. I mean, we're increasingly becoming more focused around food to go rather than just sandwiches anyway. Okay. Um, yeah. So yes, the answer is yes to that. All right. And would you agree the Wall Street Journal has described the sandwich as Britain's, quote, biggest contribution to gastronomy? <laughs> oh, probably, probably absolutely right, yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, it's only, it, it's only since the well, – we've had sandwiches in the UK for many years, but mm-hmm. really the market as it is now – uh, started back in the early 80s um, when uh, it was Marks and Spencer's, I think, actually created the first package sandwich that they could sell, sell you know, grab to go, grab and go format in a, in a supermarket. And then once that happened, the whole industry exploded in terms of growth. So, um, but that was driven largely by consumers wanting something they could eat on the move and, and convenience. And convenience. In the UK, food industry dictates everything to a large extent anyway. And and do you feel amongst the British public, you know, there's there's a certain sense of of pride in the sandwich as, as being the UK's thing when it comes to, to gastronomy, that there is a sense that that it needs safeguarding and protection? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I, we believe that the... I mean, the, the market is so important in the UK. I mean, there are not many foods that come in even close to sandwiches in terms of the size of the market itself. Um, but its history is very much rooted in Britain, which is, you know, makes it something very special, really. And and on that history, we've covered in a in a in a, in a previous episode of the podcast. What we found very interesting was, uh, and maybe you can you can debunk some myths or or confirm there is is the origin story with uh, with John Montague, the Earl of Sandwich. Uh, that's that's correct. I mean, he he was the one who actually gave it the name sandwich. Um, 
he was wanting to play cards at the time. And yes. <laughs> so very much, very much really in the ilk of today where, where it was convenience for him uh, that drove what he wanted, drove the creation of a sandwich. And that's been true ever since, really. I mean, it's the convenience of having something you can eat on the go, which uh, drives that market still today. <clears throat> that's great, Jim. I mean, again, thanks for your time. I just wanted to end well, on... Uh, on two very quick questions, which I'm sure you get all the time at any event you attend, but we've got to do it. Uh, first one, your favorite sandwich. I think beef. I've always liked mm. beef sandwiches. All right. And so, you know, so you, you would consider yourself also a burger eater with a nice beef oh, yeah. patty. I, I, I eat burgers occasionally. <laughs> Great. And, um, and then your least favorite. Least favorite. Ooh, I think boring cheese and tomato which is, is still popular in the uk and as a, is it <laughs> um i think because there are so many other things you can put into a sandwich other than just cheese and i mean cheese and tomato make a great sandwich to be honest but i it, i think it's probably for me it's more less attractive than a, certainly beef but i mean i i'm a meat eater anyway <laughs> that's good that's good and We've seen also uh, a lot of definitions. Uh, when we look at the, the American ones, for example, they're talking a lot about what proportion of the sandwich needs to be cooked meat. You've talked about more inclusiveness and so forth. And how how welcome are, let's say, plant-based and vegetarian alternatives uh, in the sandwich sphere at the moment? They're, they're becoming more and more important as people are looking for those sort of products. And I mean, it's, it's relatively easy to produce a sandwich that is plant-based. Um, so I, it, it's a question really of what the ingredients are available to the industry as much as anything else and, and what consumers are asking for, because we, we adapt, we're very, uh, it's very relatively easy to adapt a sandwich to satisfy whatever the demand is from consumers, because you've got such a choice, you're not restricted to any particular ingredients. So you, you, apart from having a carrier of some sort, bread, for example, uh, but the, even the bread can be replaced with a lettuce leaf. I've seen that done in the past. Right. Yeah, I've seen that myself. It's not the same, but, you know. Um, Jim, final thing. Um, we've we've looked a bit at the Sammies. We've, we've reached out to a few of your previous contestants, uh, some of the winners. Um, we would love to, as a podcast, cover uh, the next Sammies, if that's something we can work yeah, out. Yeah, that's fine. You're welcome to do that. Yeah. Fantastic, fantastic. And wh when are the next ones on the calendar for? Well, they, they happen in May next year. Okay, brilliant. brilliant. Um, and um, I'll pa pass your contact details on, if you like, to the agency, PR agency, and they'll keep you informed of what's happening and who's involved. Phenomenal. Yes. Uh, well, Jim Winship, thanks for your time today. Anytime. A massive thank you once again to Jim Winship for joining us on the episode. This was fantastic interview thanks once again and we thought we would wrap up with just a few stray thoughts now especially me uh having listened back as you have listener and uh yeah wanted to to kind of dig a bit deeper on some of the key topics especially some of the spicy spicy takes that i thought were uh ripe for postulation so first and foremost if i go kind of chronologically through i took note of kind of the key points nicola that, that i thought we could uh, check in on eight billion pound industry in the uk the sandwich game surprising I mean, unbelievable. 
even for them, surprising. Like, I knew they ate a lot of sandwiches. I knew they were proud mm. of their sandwiches in the UK. But eight billion exactly. It's no joke. Quid? And it's, it's always on. striking to me, industries like this, which form, like, okay, being very honest, like, what percentage of our time do we spend thinking about the to-go sandwiches that you see in, in you know, a supermarket or in a, in a convenience store? You know, it's, it's a fleeting thought, if anything. But these things are at scale gigantic like it's one of the biggest 50 industries in the uk right so it's like absolutely i was shocked I, I was really shocked and i was like wow absolutely. this is no joke this industry is like seriously uh a part of the british economy and no joke like uh, a big one significant respect i mean that's why the bsa exists right to safeguard this crown jewel of an industry for the brits Absolutely. And speaking of that, I mean, the industry seems to have a lot going for it, particularly as as they have been embracing the food to go kind of umbrella more so. So I was super interested to hear about it. Uh, Jim himself, though, sounds like he's not such a believer in burgers long term, which I thought was quite an interesting point. What did you make of this? That he his his argument, I suppose, was that burgers really have, have kind of failed to innovate over the years. And I mean, we've talked about how these days you need a knife and fork to eat a burger, right? But I thought he was actually quite spot on there that the sandwich, you, you can't accuse sandwiches of staying the same. Because I mean, from one year to the next, it's all about wraps. And then we're on to sourdough sandwiches or, you know, what have you. So I thought he was actually quite spot on with that. Yeah. And I think the interesting thing there, and we did get Jim to concede that he has a burger and I quote from time to time. Um, didn't say necessarily whether he enjoys it. But having said that, I think what we've seen with burgers, and that was also a point I raised in the interview, is burgers have changed a lot from, right, just that typical burger, uh, just with a patty and cheese on it, maybe lettuce and a tomato. We discussed this also in, in last week's episode. They've innovated, I think, to their detriment, the burgers. Whereas the sandwiches mm. have profited from, you know, continuous in innovation, if you will. Burgers have come to the point where when you talk about them as a to-go thing, now, anyways, you're having to sit down half the time with a knife and fork because they're so elaborate, they're so gourmet, etc. And at that stage, then you're competing mm. with normal restaurant fare. And, you know, someone like me might not then offer the burger at the, at the restaurant if anyways I'm sitting down. So I think they've innovated to their detriment, and that's probably a big difference. Yeah, I, I don't know where I land, though. Like, if you were to ask me, am I, is the line on burgers going up or down to the next 10 years, you know? I actually really struggle to to pick it out. I do know at the same time, like, McDonald's have been doing surprisingly well, actually. Like, they're one of the big winners after COVID that uh, they're mm -hmm. apparently continuing to attract new uh, buyers, new new shoppers or whatever, new new diners. Okay, yeah, um, yeah. And I, and I know that, like, there is still a lot of appetite, especially in, in places like Denmark, for the likes of Gasoline Grill, who, you know, get named as top burger in the world, and they generate a lot of hype to that. So I feel like the burger industry is certainly diverging, and I don't think it and sandwiches play even in the same ballpark necessarily. It's just like, I don't know if I'm as bearish on burgers as, as Jim might be, but still, I feel it's a really valid point. And I mean, to link it a bit to his argument, uh, the sandwich can provide a complete meal that a burger can't necessarily, or at least does a much worse job of. And I, I had to remember back to our conversation where I think you have been consistently pushing that a sandwich is not a complete meal. But how do you... Uh, Absolutely. How do you weigh that up versus the head of the BSA telling you otherwise? The head of the BSA also happening to... You know, he has a vested interest. Um, I, I respect his his opinion on that. Having said that, I would I would challenge him again on... Are you hungry? If you're hungry again after two, three hours, 
that is not a complete meal. And when I have sandwiches, Neil, and I'll keep mm. this is this is the hill I'm gonna die on is that I'm hungry again after two three hours. But is that just to do with the size of the sandwich? Because like there is, we'll oh, have to test that. There's out more in the wild because I know. Um, in the UK, even uh, in in particular, you can often choose between: Are you getting a single sandwich, like these prepackaged ones? You know, you can choose between the prepackaged, or sometimes they're like a trio. They're like three slices of bread with stuff between, mm -hmm. or sometimes it's two whole sandwiches together. So I feel like, still, I I think you could solve that issue you're having by just simply eating more sandwich rather than you know a different meal. For me, there's also the notion of snack versus meal, right? And I think a lot of the behavior which we dove into last week and we dove into also with Jim is that. The sandwich is very much, unashamedly, an on-the-go thing and not a meal to sit down, yes. especially when then I raised open-faced sandwiches with him. Yes, but I, I still think we need to give this to Jim that it is, a, the option is there to make a sandwich your complete meal, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. It can be your lunch. And I, I, I agree with him on that, actually, that the sandwich constructed the right way can replace your sit-down lunch or dinner. Now, obviously, mm. not many people are wanting to do that. Not many people are saying, I elect, I choose to have a sandwich for dinner here. But I'm just saying, like, if you're going from point A to point B after work, let's say, you don't have time for a sit-down dinner in between, then I do, I would argue that it is possible to have a big old sandwich that is going to be your dinner that day. Maybe a philosophical point, but... I think also a stroke of genius from a marketing perspective. I mean, if, if, if they, as the BSA, are handing out these materials to, you know, their their members of sell this as a complete meal, then no surprise they're an mm. 8 billion industry in the UK. I mean, it all comes back to EOS, the Earl of Sandwich, his original design philosophy, which holds so true today, which is let me eat a whole meal without getting my hands dirty on the go. And that is what the sandwich continues to do amazingly well. And which Jim and confirmed that origin story, actually. So... It's not it's yeah, not yeah. something obscure it, which we dug up or a conspiracy, you know, or just lore. He confirmed it. Exactly. It's widely uh, widely accepted. And I mean, he, he laughed a bit when you, you challenged him on, would you say it's the Britain's greatest contribution to gastronomy? But after he laughed, he did say yes. So to me, that is, uh, that is confirmed from Jim, who of course has an interest in this. But in any case, I thought one other very interesting strand that... Um, I think we could even have picked up on more is his point around hot dogs. Hot dogs have lost their way in recent years, yeah. Jim says. And this is this is where where we wanted to get to, right? You know, we I warmed Jim up a bit. You gotta let him cook, right? But we needed to know about yep. the hot dog, right? And what what came out is that within their current definition, hot dogs are not sandwiches. Upon pushing on that, you know, we got the concession that because they're including uh, food to go. If I had my own hot dog stand, they would be willing to represent me. But I think the point you just raised mm -hmm. is very interesting of the hot dog losing its way. I wonder, I think what he might be speaking to is I believe in the UK and elsewhere, there's this push of like premium hot dog restaurants mm -hmm. where they will charge an arm and a leg for what is in fact a very high margin uh, meal that they're going to give you like uh, because the frankfurters are so uh, cheap the, the sausages themselves and then all they do is like chop a few onions uh, buy a pre-packaged um, you know those crumbly crunchy onions you know right and then just mustard and ketchup and, the, and they're like that'll be 10 pounds please you know and it's just like 
uh, there are places that do that and they call them, they have all the cool branding and it's like very modern and, and forward facing in that sense. But probably this is where, I, I hope at least I'm getting it right, that this is where hot dogs may have lost their way a bit is that they've tried to become the new burger, right? And they go, oh yeah, if you'll pay 10 pounds for a burger, you'll pay 10 pounds for a hot dog. But then in fact, probably they've pushed the envelope a little bit as to what they think consumers are willing to happily spend for a premium uh, hot sandwich. Yeah, I think that's I think that's fair. And um, do we are we able now with Jim's context to reach this conclusion that the hot dog is not a sandwich, even though we both believed it was? I mean, I think we have to defer to the expert on the on the matter here. Like we we are professional postulators, but we are sandwich amateurs, right? Like. Neither of us have worked for, was it 18 years, he said, in the sandwich game? No, so he, um, uh, he like started that? this association, did he say in 1990? Okay, yeah. so as long as, as, as long as we have, uh, longer in fact yeah. than we have been on, the, on planet, the planet, this man has been working with sandwiches. So I think it's fair to say that he is the expert on this rather than us. My only, what I like to, let's say, from the definition is that we need to stop thinking about sandwiches and think about food to go. You mm. know, that's, if the the sooner you let go of the sandwich distinction and talk about what is a food to go, what is what is a good to go food, then of course you start to open to a broad church of the likes of burgers, hot dogs, etc. Right, uh, and I think that's a better it's a better way to think about it because who ultimately like we can get a lot of mileage out of about debating is it or isn't it, but it's like ultimately you know who cares? It's like oh, a sandwich yeah. is a sandwich, yeah. <laughs> like uh, I'm not saying my thinking has changed. Mo- I still am of the philosophical camp. That, you know, like the Earl of Sandwich himself would say, if I can eat it without dirtying my hands, it's a sandwich. But um, that's neither here nor there. That's neither here nor there. But I'll tell you what is there. Our participation in next year's Sammy's, the Sandwich Awards of the UK. We're going. Jim invited us to be the official podcast (laughs) of the Sammy's. Uh, Okay, to give Jim some credit here. I don't think he invited us so much as you said, can we please come? And he was like, I'm not directly against that idea. But uh, that, that I still think it's a fantastic opportunity for us to attend the Sammies. I think that's, if anything, what this podcast needs is more uh, award ceremonies for us to attend and cover. So I'm all in. It's next May, I believe, the Sammies. Yeah. And, uh, Mark I'm your gonna, calendar. I'm keep listeners. my calendar free. Yeah. And w- I want to taste the sandwich. Do you get to taste them? I don't know actually about the format. Do we get to try the competing sandwiches? At the I mean, sandwich? if we're going to go all the way out there, it's not even in London, it's outside of Bristol, we better get at least a bite of the winning sandwich of the Design Award. Exactly. If I'm coming to Bristol or outside Bristol, I damn well am eating a few sandwiches along the way. That's for sure. And um, I'm just thinking what this could look like. I mean, are we thinking, you know, podcast tent at the at the entrance and getting all the sandwich makers coming in, getting their takes, having them postulate, uh, conducting a straw poll, perhaps, of whether they believe a hot dog is a sandwich or not? Like, how how are we going to approach I mean, this? That, that has to be, if we're going to interview every entrant, who of course will hopefully be there at the Sammies, we have to at least get their uh, their input but also I would say it should be for everybody at the Sammies because you're going to have all the all sorts of industry people also on the on the retail side you know distributors you're going to have everybody and I want to hear from all of them mm. so maybe there's some way what if we had a way that everybody could vote so everybody who walks by our booth or whatever has a chance to put their rubbish or like their their sandwich package in two bins right and one of them is 
a hot dog is a sandwich and one of them is a hot dog is not a sandwich. But then again, it's the sandwich industry who are going to be there. So they're all going to say, no, it's not a sandwich. It is a food to go, but not a sandwich. I'm pretty sure. Well, but we, we would need to see if there is an alignment or if there are warring factions within the party of sandwich. Is there a British hot dog association we can reach out to? That is the next question. I doubt there is, but... Uh, there has to be somebody it could be a globally who, exactly. who is Jim's counterpart, but for hot dogs, for this niche of the of the hot dog. Exactly. And I think our listeners might might want to hear from from this this said character, the, the hot dog, the lord of hot dog. That's that is the question. I'm literally, I think I might be onto something here. Interesting, interesting. I'm gonna I'm gonna send send you a few links for you to peruse. Fantastic. But I found a website uh, called the National Hot Dog and Sausage Council, and um, one of the key articles on their homepage is is a hot dog a sandwich. Um, so yeah, I think we're on something here. Fantastic. So Neil. Thank you. Thank you, Jim Winship, again, for, for coming on uh, to the podcast, for giving us this interview, for enlightening us on this space. We learned a lot. We hope it was also enriching to, uh, to our listeners. And we look forward to, uh, to heading over for the Sammies. We will be there uh, in, in one shape or another. And maybe, you know, Neil and I were thinking about, while we're there, cooking up a little surprise for the rest of you listeners with a potential... There, should I say it, Neil? Should I say it? Oh, let's leave the breadcrumbs now. And All uh, right. what's the word? You know, uh, no, no, I, I'm with you. Let's uh, let's fly the flag up the flagpole and see if it. Uh, what is that? The succession phrase? See who salutes and see know? who salutes. So, listeners, salute this. Yeah. In May. Around the so the Sammies are the 9th of May. Around those days, the 10th or the 11th of May, a live show. For you all in London. Potentially. Hugely. And then with a big asterisk saying, you know, not committed to it yet. Please don't hold us to this. But we you can already buy your topic. tickets. Uh, Neil, Neil is handling <laughs> that. All the mobile yeah, payments. Exactly. Yeah. Fantastic. They are steep tickets, guys. It is going to be. No, uh, we are. No, we, are, we really are looking into it. We think it's uh, the natural evolution and we'd, we'd love to make it happen. It's all about feasibility studies. So we have a, a huge team of consultants working on it now. We've contracted uh, one of the big four and we are just trying to make sure that it's going to break even. And uh, that is a big if. But that is work in progress. There we go. So listeners, I said in preparation of the Sammies next year, we want to show up, you know, having done our homework, uh, having done our, performed our due diligence, uh, and where better to start than reaching out to past winners. So uh, we have found the winners of the 2023 competition butcher shop called Uptons of Bassett in Southampton in the south of the UK. And, uh, and Neil will be, uh, will be dialing them now uh, live on the podcast uh, to... To just start to establish these relationships that that we need with the sandwich industry. That is the plan. Now, keep in mind, listener, we record this uh, generally of an evening, uh, of a weekday evening, and what we can see from Google is that Uptons is sadly closed already for the day. So lower your expectations here. Let's see uh, if we get through. It's genuinely a bit of a Christmas miracle ahead of uh, Christmas, obviously. But uh, I'm going to dial now, and we're going to see what happens. And of course, uh, if we get through, we're going to try and speak with one of the winners, either Katarina or Simon from the Sammies 2023. So bear with me here as I dial. Hello? 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 Hello?
Hey guys, uh, sorry for the late call and uh, of course Twitter answering machine, no problem at all. This is Neil calling and I'm calling from a podcast called Lost in Postulation, which I host along with my co-host Nicola Volpe here. And we were getting in touch in relation to the Sammies, which we were uh, yeah, very impressed to see you guys t- picked up quite a few awards at this year. We had a call with Jim Winship uh, already. He was He's uh, been very good to us and talked us through uh, a lot of his, his thoughts on the sandwich industry. And we actually would love to hear from you guys as well. So if you're at all interested, please do uh, reach out. Probably the best is by email. You can get us at lostinpostulation at gmail.com uh, or we're on all the social medias with those same handles. So at impostulation uh, on Instagram, for example. But it would be great to hear from you. We'd love to have a chat. And uh, yeah, in other, in, in, if we don't hear from you, best of luck with the, with the Sammies because we hope to see you there in uh, 2024. Thanks, Emil. How about that? Brilliantly done. Yeah, I mean, uh, too bad we couldn't get them on the line now. We know they're hours, though. We know they are big on their work-life balance. Uh, so we will reach out during business hours. But, uh, you know, this is this is great. This is the beginning of something. This will be this will be a voicemail they have to listen to at least twice, I feel. <laughs> uh, they will be like, uh, okay, sorry, what was that? And then they'll go back the second time and be like, yep, that's what I thought. It's it's bizarre. I, I, I think it's it, hopefully they find it interesting rather than uh, just extremely odd that a podcast is reaching out to them. But hey, look. Right. And more importantly, when was when was the last time you left somebody a voicemail? This was fun. I had to really uh, draw upon my uh, early career skills back when we still use phones all the time, uh, which is a long time ago now. So, yeah, I hope that made some sense to them and that they will reach out. We can only hope. We can only hope, we can only dream. And any parting shots for our listeners? <laughs> I don't know. Like, uh, as you can see, listener, we are on a quite experimental buzz these days. So feel free to chip in anything else because uh, what we're finding is like, currently there's a lot of cool things we can do. And this is only some of them. So if you have any further... Today we discovered phones. Exactly. You look at like we, we're, we're embracing every form of communication, old, new and otherwise. So... Please do hit us up with any feedback, ideas. We'd love to hear from you. We are all about uh, finding crazy new things to do with the podcast and uh, more on this to come as you'll find. Thanks very much as ever for your feedback, input, etc. And we will see you on the next one. So long, farewell, au revoir.